Bible, you can read you can read these four chapters in I know thirty minutes or less, probably twenty minutes or less. And um so I really encourage you to, to read it once a day, okay? Between now and Wednesday. And um it will really it will really be a blessing to your soul and help you to to get saturated in the word. <clears throat> you know, the church at Philippi was founded by Paul. We read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Um, Paul and Silas were uh, called in an amazing way, the Macedonian call, and went to Philippi and ministered there. And um, the first convert of that church was Lydia, a Gentile businesswoman from Thyatira that that lived in Philippi. Philippi was a crossroads community. It was in a, a key area of trade between north and south and east and west, and um, and it was made up of very few Jewish people. And um, so you don't find in the book of Philippi, like you did in the book of Galatians, a whole lot of references that would relate to the Jews and their heritage and so on. But this church was started really out of adversity. Um, while they were there preaching, Paul and Silas, you, you're familiar with the account, were put in jail, um, again, just to remind you, they were openly beaten with rods that um, often caused intense hemorrhaging, often caused injury to very organs of their body. Many times it, it injured vertebrae and crushed ribs, and often it would cause death. So Paul and Silas have been exposed to this, had been put in prison, and these aching, bleeding, limping vessels, servants of God, were then thrown into this dark dungeon and put in stocks. And they're in jail. You remember their account that... At midnight, they were praying and singing praises to God. And needless to say, the other prisoners heard it. The jailer heard it. They had joy that was unrelated to the circumstances. They were alone. They were in pain. They faced the loss of life, but they still had joy. And as a result of this, you know the story, um, there was a great earthquake. The jailer was going to kill himself. Paul says, no, don't do that. He said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the Philippian jailer was saved and his household 
And they became the nucleus, Lydia and the Philippian jailer in his household, of this church at Philippi. Now, a number of years later, Paul is in prison again. Most believe he was probably in Rome. And in prison, he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And um, his reasons for sending this letter are, are, one, to announce that his assistant Timothy would be visiting them soon. He wanted to express thanks to the Philippians for their gift to Paul in meeting needs. They took offerings. They sent gifts to Paul while he was in prison. And he wanted to encourage them in a spirit of joyfulness. Um, This brief book has been given a title, The Epistle of Joy. And and so you keep those things in mind as you read through this book. There are other purposes. This book is full of, um, I'll call them mountain peak verses. There are many of you that, that are very familiar with individual verses from this book that have been a great encouragement to you through your walk with the Lord. And and it is a a lively book. It is uh, an active book, as you will see. But notice, beginning in chapter two, I want to just read a few verses here, and then we want to look at some thoughts here. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy. By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul's writing to them, as we said, the theme of this letter is joy. And he's, they were concerned about Paul. They heard he was in prison. Their hearts, they loved Paul, needless to say, because he brought them the message of the gospel. And they heard he was in prison again. Their hearts went out to him. And, and they were concerned about that. So Paul was, was writing back to them. And he was 
writing to encourage them and urging them to live a life full of joy. And really, in this passage that we just read, he gives the key to having a joy, as we've sung, that that um, is in the midst of a darkest night, to be able to have joy in pain, to be able to have joy regardless. And the key to having joy is in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Joy is the result of having the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, Paul and Silas had the mind of Christ, and in prison, they were able to have joy. Because they were willing to submit their will to God's will, and they they gave their mind to think the thoughts of God, to have the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you. That's a, a directive that he gives us. Paul later in this same book says, my desire is that I may know him. I want to know him so that his mind can be my mind. I want to be like him. That was his desire. So I want us to look at some characteristics this morning of the mind of Christ. First of all, it is humble. Notice what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here Jesus Christ is. He's God. And he humbled himself to take upon him the form of a man far below God. And not just a man, he came as a servant. He was equal with God, but he he didn't come based on his reputation as God. He came as man. This this passage in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, give us the very heart of God in sending his son, it gives us the mind of Jesus Christ that he was willing to give up his rights as a God. He was, he was willing to give up his fellowship with the Father. He was willing to lay his reputation. Remember when he came? They said, he is of the devil. This was God. <clears throat> But he was willing to lay that all aside. He was willing to be accused of being of the devil. And he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation and went to the cross on our behalf. If we are to have the mind of Christ, it means we have to humble ourselves It means that it's not about me. You know, we get into trouble because 
We make it about me. We make it about us. George Mueller, who was a, a man of great faith that, that raised up orphanages in England and, and without asking for a dime, had millions of dollars supplied for the orphanages that he had. When George Mueller was asked the secret of his service, He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died to George Mueller. I died to his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and will. I died also to the world, he said, to its approval or censure. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only unto God. Do you understand what he's saying? He said, it wasn't about George Mueller anymore. It wasn't about me. I died to my reputation. I died to what people think about me, what even my friends thought about me, what the world thought about me. I died to that. I humbled myself. To have the mind of Christ, we have to get to the point where it's not about us. You know what? We are born into this world with a nature that defends self. That's why we don't like correction. We don't like criticism. We don't like being disrespected. And and that's, that's natural. Jesus Christ, the mind of Christ is that he humbled himself. And, and you'll read this in Paul's letters over and over again. He said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We read in Galatians. He said, for me to live, it's not I'm pursuing my dreams. And my, for me to live is Christ. That's what I'm living for. I'm humbling myself. It's not about me. I'm not defending my my name, my reputation, anything. It's not about me. Jesus Christ came, and it wasn't about him. The mind of Christ begins with humility, and the mind of Christ then moves on to the gospel. We read, verse 8, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The reason Christ came purely and in, in its entirety is to pay the penalty for our sins. That's the gospel, the good news. Gospel means good news. So here we are. We're we're dead in sins. Every one of us are born with the sin nature. The only reason Jesus Christ came, it was not to provide a great example. It was not to teach many wonderful things, although he did provide a great example. He did teach many wonderful things. The reason he came was... To save us from our sin. To pay the penalty for our sin. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And Paul had the mind of Christ. And you notice throughout the the writings of Paul, it keeps coming back to the gospel. Look in chapter 1 and verse 12. 
He's writing to the church at Philippi. They know he's in prison. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Notice what he said. He wasn't thinking, man, we try to serve God and now I'm in prison. He said, hey, this is great. This has happened to the furtherance of the gospel. I am able to share Jesus Christ with all these guards that are on duty around me 24-7. And, he went on and said, and other believers now have become much more bold in sharing the gospel. Notice You'd look in verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What was the word? The word was the gospel that Jesus Christ saves. Notice verse 18. What then? Only that in every way... Well, let me just give you the context here. Some are preaching Christ um, to get back at Paul, thinking it'd make him jealous since he's in prison. And some are doing it out of envy and strife. And Paul says, verse 18, What then? Not only, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. He said, you know, some may have wrong motives in why they're preaching the gospel, but God will take care of that. I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. It's all about the gospel. The mind of Christ. What is Christ's mind concerned about? He is concerned about reaching the lost. Get the good news. These people have no hope. Get the good news, the gospel. Paul is continually calling that back. Notice in in chapter 2 and verse 15. That you may be, verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, the children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul's writing, he says, quit your griping and complaining. I want you to live in a manner that is holding forth the word of life in the midst of a dark and wicked world. What did he say to hold forth? The word of life. Because they have no hope. Listen, think where you would be today if you hadn't come to know the gospel. I mean, you look at you look at the political scene today and it's disgusting and corrupted and and you think there's no hope there. You look at at human nature and you think God have mercy. There is no hope. Except in Jesus Christ. And Paul's continually coming back because he had the mind of Christ. And what is the mind of Christ concerned about? Rescue the perishing. What brings joy in heaven? One sinner that responds to the gospel. When one sinner repents, then there's joy in heaven. The mind of Christ is that He cared enough to come, humble himself, 
pay the penalty for sin and offer the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Notice in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, he, he says, I, all that I was, I was this great Jew, I was one of the top Jewish people, but he said, all of that means nothing to me, verse 9, that I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He says, all my accomplishments mean nothing because they couldn't make me righteous. But I have the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. The mind of God, having the mind of Christ, is a mind that's concerned not only to receive the gospel, but to spread the gospel. So, the mind of Christ is humble. It's not about me. It's willing to serve. In what manner, what purpose? To get the gospel out. In what method? Really, the method is joy. We said it's the epistle of joy. And and the mind of Christ is joyfully serving. Jesus Christ came and he joyfully gave of himself to serve and and Paul is reiterating through this epistle rejoice in the Lord always chapter 4 and verse 4 and again I say rejoice six times in this short book he used the words joy eight times he used the word rejoice the mind of Christ is one that serves joyfully in chapter 1 Paul is basically saying People have disappointed me, but I'm rejoicing. In chapter 2, he says, The plans have sort of been a disappointment to me. I'm sending Epaphroditus to you. I'm sending Timothy. I'm going to be all alone, but I'm still rejoicing. In chapter 3, he says, I've lost all my possessions, but I'm still rejoicing. In chapter 4, he says, I am very, I'm in very, very trying circumstances, but I'm still rejoicing. The mind of Christ is one that is always rejoicing because it sees the big picture. It sees the big picture. I am forgiven of my sins because of the gospel. I have eternal life, and regardless of what happens in this life, I can rejoice that the best is yet to come. Years ago, a lady was crossing a certain London station when an old man stopped her and said, Excuse me, ma'am, but I want to thank you for something. And she was taken back by it and and didn't know the man and um, wasn't sure what he was talking about. And she said, Thank me. And he says, Yes, ma'am, I used to be the ticket collector on this train, and whenever you used to go by, you would always give a cheerful smile and a good morning. And he said, you don't know the difference that that made in me. 
whether the weather was rainy or sunny, it was always the same. And he said, and I thought to myself, wonder where she gets that smile from. One cannot be always happy, yet she seems to be always happy. I know that smile has to come from something inside, he said. Then one morning, he said, you came by and you had a little Bible in your hand. He said, so I said to myself, perhaps that's where she got her smile from. So I went home that night and I bought a Bible. And I've been reading it. And I found Christ, and now I can smile too. I want to thank you. That's why Paul is writing, rejoice in the Lord always. As believers, we have reason to rejoice always. And it ought to be noticed in our life. It ought to be noticed in the casual walking by, in the casual encounters at the store, in the work conditions. It ought to be noticed that we have joy that passes all comprehension. Because my sins are forgiven, Jesus Christ dwells within. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. It is serving the Lord joyfully. Can you imagine If every Christian in the United States was filled with abundant joy, the difference that it would make? I mean, the people that you live with, the people that you work with, do they notice joy in your life? Is Christ in your life? I mean, through a simple ministry of a smile. Charles Spurgeon says, there there is a, a dubious spirit that can kind of plague a house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. But he said, but the grace of God is joy that is contagious. Holy joy, Spurgeon said, will oil the wheels of life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Paul is writing from a testimony. The Philippian jailer was brought to Christ through his joy. He's now writing back to the Philippian jailer and the believers at Philippi, and he says, serve God joyfully. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I want to make sure you got it. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. The mind of Christ is one that rejoices in its service, rejoices in its life. Another characteristic of the mind of Christ is that it is pursuing peace. In chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he said, I want you to fulfill my joy, and this is how, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In chapter 1 and verse 27, 
He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. There it is again of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, turn to chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul was so concerned, the mind of Christ is pursuing peace. Paul was so concerned that he called out two ladies in the church. How would you like to to get this, you know? Here, we got a letter from the apostle. Let's read it in church. And he says, I implore Euodia and implore Sintiac to be of the same mind in the Lord. Wow. Hey, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he's reading it, and then he says, I implore these two women to pursue peace. Man, he called them out, didn't he? Why? Because he knew peace was important to to dwell together in one mind, in one spirit, pursuing the, the peace of the gospel. The mind of Christ is concerned about peace, and this all goes back to humility. Only by pride comes contention. When we humble ourselves, and it's not about us, we can dwell together in peace. It's not about my opinion. It's not about my preference. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And we are of one mind and one purpose and one spirit, and it's pursuing peace. But notice in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, he said that Christ humbled himself, verse 8, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then in verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him, And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you have the mind of Christ, it will be rewarded. When you humble yourself, when you are concerned and your chief concern is the gospel and you serve joyfully and you pursue peace, you will be rewarded. The mind of Christ will be rewarded. God highly exalted him. He humbled himself, became obedient to death. God highly exalted him. And Paul's reminding them of that in chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we are eagerly awaiting the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So he's reminding them, humble yourselves, give yourselves to spread the gospel, do that joyfully, and do it pursuing peace. He said, you will be rewarded. The day is going to come. Remember, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in this earth. He wrote in Colossians, set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. He wrote in Galatians, keep planting the seeds and don't be weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap if you faint not. 
That, that reaping may not come for eternity, but when you give yourself to have the mind of Christ, it will be rewarded. God will reward it. There's no question about it. A number of years ago, over a hundred years ago, there was a man by the name of William Borden. He was heir of the um, rich Borden family, the Borden Dairy Estate. When he graduated from high school, he was already a millionaire. For his high school graduation, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And that trip had a profound influence on his life because at a young, as a young man... He had come to know Christ as his personal Savior. As he traveled around the world through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the lost. During the trip, Borden wrote home to say, I have decided to give my life for the mission field. And at the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserve, meaning he's not holding anything back. Many people thought his youthful zeal would soon pass, but it didn't. He began his college studies at Yale University. That was back when Yale was preparing people for the ministry. And he had a desire to live for Jesus Christ. He became a leader on the campus During the time there, he started a small prayer group that movement spread across the campus. By the end of the first year, his freshman year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time he was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting weekly for Bible studies and prayer groups all driven by William Borden. Upon graduation, his father offered him a position in the company. He turned his father's position down, and his father said, I'll never offer you another position. William Borden went to his Bible, and in the Bible, under where he had no reserve, he then wrote, no retreat. There's nowhere I can turn now. In keeping with his commitment, he turned down every lucrative position offered to him. He enrolled in seminary. He went to Egypt to learn Arabic to prepare for a lifetime of missions among the Muslims in China. But he would never make it to China. To the shock of the Western world that had witnessed his decision to leave his inheritance and his wealth and connection, William became ill while he was in Egypt. Learning the Arabic language, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, William Borden died at the age of 25. Newspapers headlined the unfortunate news of Yale's famous graduate, and the heir to the Borden inheritance, and many speculated about the value of his sacrifice and what a wasted life he'd spent. His parents were given his Bible when they gathered his 
possessions. And they opened the Bible and saw the words, no reserve. They saw the words, no retreat. And there was another phrase. William Borden had written these words shortly before his death in Egypt. No regrets. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. When you give yourself to the mind of Christ, it is no reserve. And there is no retreat. And it's guaranteed it will be rewarded. There are no regrets. And Paul said the key to joy in your life is not just getting a positive attitude, not just pumping yourself up, I'm going to be happy, happy, happy. The key is having the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, we can see the pains a little differently, and we know that someday they will be taken care of. And the darkness of the night, there's always a light in the midst of it because it's Jesus Christ. And Paul was writing to these believers, and he says, I'm walking in victory even in prison. I'm walking in joy. Why? Because the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Humble. Willing to get the gospel out. And maybe you're here today and you have never responded to the gospel. You've never called upon Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. And you're here today. Jesus Christ says, come unto me and I will give you rest. That's the good news that he's given to us. But every one of us here today ought to be pursuing God. I want to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when we have his mind, we can walk in joy. We can walk in the victory. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that we truly would have the mind of you. Lord, I pray for individuals here today who have never received the gift of Jesus Christ. I pray today would be the day of salvation. The day that they say, God, I need your forgiveness and I call upon Jesus. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today. I pray that we would give ourselves to having the mind of you. That we would embrace and be clothed with humility. That we would live the gospel and look for opportunities. That that would be the motivation of our life. And Lord, that we would joyfully serve whatever you've called us to do. That we would do it joyfully as unto you. And that we'd lay aside our personal preferences. That we would pursue peace. And Lord, I know someday that will be rewarded. Lord, I pray that there would be a revival of joy because of a revival of having the mind of you. So, Lord, we pray that you would work your purposes for your glory. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed,